Hi, my name is Martin Veach, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to this latest Think Tech podcast from Lenovo. And the subject we're going to be talking about could hardly be bigger. It's the topic of where do humans fit in in the future of a data-centered workplace? Where do we sit in a world of AI data and algorithms? Now, popular opinion on the role of the data economy and AI machines will play in our personal professional lives and they range from the optimistic and utopian to the dystopian. As the worlds of computers and business operations converge, we find ourselves closer to a future dominated by data sets and algorithms. So how should we look at the future of data intelligence? Friend or foe, colleague or competitor? To explore the topic of how AI and data will transform the workplace and the people in it, I'm joined by some of Europe's leading experts on the topic. Uh, so our first speaker is going to be uh, Giovanni Di Filippo, who's the president of EMEA at Lenovo. Uh, we also have Dr. Anne Sue, behavioral psychologist and computer science lecturer at the University of London. Dr. Valerio Rizzo, who's the AI lead for EMEA at Lenovo. And Laura Schultz, who is head of strategic development and partnerships at LRZ. Let me introduce, ask them to introduce themselves a little more because they're going to have a better idea of who they are than I am. First of all, Anne, please take it away. Um, yeah, I'm Anne. I'm dialing in from London. Uh, my research uh, combines machine learning with human psychology, and I work on technology to help us become better humans in a way using AI. That sounds like a laudable cause. Uh, Laura. Yes, hello. Uh, this is Laura Schultz. I'm calling um, from Munich, Germany. I'm at the Leibniz Supercomputing Center, and I get to deal with some of the, the greatest, most interesting topics, including exascale computing, um, artificial intelligence, big data, and quantum computing. So I have a pretty fun job. Wonderful. Giovanni. Hi, I'm Dan Ingen from Zurich, you know, responsible to lead the talent EMEA data center organization, delivering a, a multi-billion dollar of next generation of data center solutions and services with a tremendous focus, of course, on customer and partner engagement. On top, to provide also a very differentiated value proposition relevant to help our customers to become the leader in their business and to have a delightful user experience working with us. Great stuff. And last but not least, Valerio. Hi, uh, Valerio Rizzo, I'm the EMEA AI lead um, and um, uh, I work uh, as, a, uh, as a, I have a key role in, uh, in a team of experts um, that works in the field of uh, AI, and particularly uh, machine learning and deep learning application into business and uh, um, I work as a solution architect, so helping the, the customer to, uh, uh, to think and, and deploy uh, deep learning based uh, um, solution into their business come from an academic background in, uh, in neurophysiology and um, that's it fantastic so i said it was a great lineup and it is a great lineup isn't it so look we better push on because our only chance here is going to be able to squeeze in as much data as we can into this uh, podcast topic one what do we mean when we talk about data and ai in the workplace what comes into your mind how do you define your terms uh, any discussion, of course, on this broad topic can go in very wildly different directions if we don't start with common definitions. So I'm going to go around the table and ask people, can you tell me in a short summary what that topic means for you? Anne, would you mind going first? Um, so thinking about data and I, I think you can draw an analogy between like sun and solar panels. So data is like the sun, it's everywhere, but without, um, on its, it has potential, but on its own, it doesn't have much use. 
Um, and then a AI is like the solar panels where AI can transform data into a form that's useful by filtering out noise and extracting what's the useful patterns that are present in that data. But so far, there's no value judgment on that. So we can, the same way we can use energy for warming house, houses or creating weapons, it's up to our human-based values to decide what we apply AI towards. Um, and so that's why my lab, we focus on using AI to help people with psychological well-being and improve their abilities to communicate. Um, but in general, it's just uh, they combine together to extract meaning out of the data that's everywhere that we can collect from everywhere. Fantastic. It's great not to hear the data is the new oil for a change, isn't it? <laughs> and Laura, what about your definitions? Uh, yeah, so I'm coming at the perspective of being at a supercomputing center and in a user facility with many different users. And, you know, and they're using data and creating data in, in many different ways in many different spaces. But the one the one recurring theme among all of this, as it was in, in high performance computing, as it is now in, in the big data era and the application of artificial intelligence, having this sort of information and taking large amounts of data or even small amounts of data, you know, and, and different types of data can really help us solve problems that, that were previously intractable, that were previously, you know, um, not available to us to solve. It's a new type of paradigm, a new type of pattern recognition, a new way of, of thinking, of looking at information that's presented in front of us, and, and, and new ways to be able to gain insight for the betterment of us, for our society, for our science, for our industry. So it, it, it's really a very exciting time and a very exciting way to be thinking about uh, data and, and the application uh, with AI. Yeah, great. Uh, what about you, Giovanni? So I take a business lens, of course, you know, leading such a significant business and from a perspective, from a perspective. So I need to work with data every single day to support my many daily decisions, you know, so I have to take in regards to capital and OPEX investment on, on every single day. So let me illustrate on a real example. When we discuss our customers' demand and potential component shortages that are right now due to the unexpected high demand driven by either work from home or schooling from home, one of our key metrics is measuring order entry and time to customer fulfillment and percentage. So in order to deliver and of course to reach our goals, which are in the high 90s, we need to fully understand, you know, uh, customers demand and when these customers want to order to be ready for production and of course in time delivery. So without the right and accurate data, I would not be in any position to take informed decisions. So, but there is a but and I always say there is a but and the but is data alone would not uh, be sufficient is is just one piece of the overall picture as our group as our global supply chain people need to triangulate all this information with component supply you know availability manufacturing capacity capacity and physical delivery capabilities i give an example in regards of you now we're using trucks ships or even aircrafts so data at, at hand is critical important however needs to be really interpreted by humans to bring it to life yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, look, what about you, Valerio? So uh, I would like to cite uh, a grammatist uh, called uh, Derrida. He, he said, "Il n'y a pas text de And uh, that means 
uh, that basically what he, he, he tried to say is that the, the everything that we have around us uh, needs interpretation. Now, like uh, the the world around us and, and every business really is complex. So it goes beyond our physical and uh, and human and cognitive capabilities. And now we need uh, we needed a way to uh, to extract in a, at a faster pace, uh, actionable inside, and uh, and so. I guess AI, like deep learning, is helping us to define, like to uh, to actually identify patterns that are uh, out of reach for the human mind uh, in a faster way. Uh, is also aimed, uh, enabling us uh, to program machine uh, using pretty much. Uh, uh, the same input and the same uh, way we we approach the world. So in terms of sight, sound, and uh, uh, if we think about you know, unstructured data that was uh, before the uh, or uh, before the the explosion of this uh, new explosion of the uh, AI technology was basically data that we didn't know exactly how to handle and uh, it was very costly to store. And last but not least, uh, is uh, I, I think it's significantly uh, speeding up the process of, uh, of software uh, development with respect to traditional expert system. So uh, we should keep in mind that uh, most of, uh, of the software that we produce nowadays is always based on expert system, but the the core engine for some of this software uh, can be easily um, can be deep learning or a machine learning engine or, or power or core, and this uh, this core could be really remodeled um, uh, according to a new uh, uh, piece of information he has to process in a very fast way. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Valerio. Four different perspectives, four definitions to a certain extent as well. Um, look, let's get to the heart of the matter. And if I could come to you first, uh, obviously, we know that technology now is absolutely embedded in everyday life for, for all of us, virtually, and that human beings now tend to have some sort of innate trust in machine intelligence. If it tells us that the train is going to be late, we're going to believe that. If Google tells us uh, a, a result of a, a request. We tend to believe that. We hope that Uber is going to Uber is going to be able to send us a driver on time. Uh, so why do you think it is that the concept of AI uh, still seems to spark a lot of fear, cynicism, and so on? Um, I think people are the developments in AI have outpaced our understanding of exactly how they work. Because a standard deep learning model, it can have millions or billions of parameters, even, and so sometimes it's well, often it's hard to explain exactly how it's making its predictions. And people just don't like this uncertainty. And I think it's also a lot of times we think of human-like capabilities as being things that oh, we recognize faces and we recognize speech and we can simulate speech. And that's something we think of as human. And now AI is doing that. And so that makes us feel concerned, like, oh, what else can it do? But I think there's a lack of understanding that, yes, it is amazing to be able to recognize faces and speech, etc. But we do so much more than that. And there's so much of our capabilities that current AI is so far from being able to capture or emulate, like our ability to generalize, to learn from very few examples, to extract high level insights, make creative connections. These are things that are very far from what current AI models do. So I think there's also a lack of understanding, understandably, of what, um, you know, how different these things that humans are able to do, how different these capabilities are. Um, also, uh, there's a lot of fear because people see that there can be 
bias in these models, right? So it's like, it's at such a large scale and there's a concern like it's very widely publicized that there was this bias in hiring data, for example, because the data itself was biased because we have bias in hiring. But I think there's actually a really positive spin to this because, because AI is to be applied at scale, these biases can be adjusted at scale. So you actually can, if, you, if humans recognize this, you can adjust the representation of different populations in say your data and you can out overcome the, the bias uh, biases that you might have in humans by applying a AI to more equalized data. And actually there was recent research coming out where um, AI was better than human doctors at predicting the pain of, of black African um, patients because they actually feel more pain from arthritis than I guess Caucasians. And so the AI actually was able to predict their pain more accurately than doctors who are more used to seeing Caucasian patients. So I think there's actually, the fact that AI can have bias has its flip side, which is AI could actually have far less bias than humans as well. Yeah, absolutely, a question of balance. Uh, Laura, building on that, do you think there's any reasons why AI should be seen through a negative lens from your point of view? Um, no, you know, so now going back to, you know, again, where I, where I work at a supercomputing center, you know, I have to, uh, I have to draw on uh, experiences in high performance computing. So modeling and simulation, you know, we, as the years have progressed and the decades of, of using uh, supercomputing capabilities have, have continued, you know, we have gotten, we've gotten um, more refined resolution. We are able to solve bigger problems. We're able to deal with more uncertainty in, in, um, in the things that, that we're calculating. Uh, that's everything from, you know, design of, of airplane wings and, and optimization problems. So, you know, we've really been able to use uh, high performance computing uh, in a way and continue it. And this is really to the to the benefit of, of science and people. Now we've got now we've got this new approach where we're starting with the data and we're finding patterns and, and recognitions in, in within the data to be able to kind of use as a hypothesis, oh okay, so so how do we take that data or how do we take that insight and, and apply it to to the system that we're studying. So this is another method, this is another process that we have at our disposal to tackle some of the of the big problems that we want to look at. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten very far with, with things like global warming and, and high performance computing, the, the modeling and simulation track. Now, if we take it from the perspective of big data and, and applying machine learning and artificial intelligence um, methods, you know, we're, we're gaining new insight and identifying new patterns that maybe we hadn't seen before or at a resolution um, or a refinement that we haven't seen. So this is, this is, to me, I think of it as another way to 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 ask bigger questions and to more refined questions to ask to get more exact answers I, I don't see it I, I see only the possibilities uh, when we use it correctly and when we um, when we really take the time to to work with it yeah very good that's an optimist view and Giovanni uh, I know you're very much an optimist when it comes to the role of technology in business uh, what makes you so confident and assured though that being more data centered as you put it will be positive for people. So, I mean, when you look back now in I'm almost about uh, roughly about 30 years in this business, you know, and I have seen firsthand 
how technology has really enabled and changed how we work, we live, and we play. So technology is in combination with data, artificial intelligence, how also Valerio mentioned, you know, will help us to focus our human capacity in areas to create higher value creation, you know, for, for business and science and research and to invent new products, as we can see it right now with the pandemic process or strategies, you know. So it's all in all for me an enabling force to grow and not to stand still because standing still means for me, you know, going back. So we have to realize really and apply it's, uh, it is in a coexistence versus just to stand alone. On top also, you know, thanks to the data-centered understanding and approach business will transform. So are humans, of course. So skill learning and capabilities, you know, associated with, smart, with uh, making data a source of human achievement and spark for creativity are becoming more broadly available, thanks God. You know, so I believe with the focus now on human-centric technologies that will augment individual skills will also enable a much more effective collaboration between humans. And I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, and Valerio, if I could come to you, you started off in academia. You focused on, as you said, neurophysiology research. Um, what, from your point of view, is the relationship between machine and human intelligence? And also, if I could ask you, in what time frame do you see us making a leap from a narrow AI to a more generalized AI? Well, one billion dollar question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess this is a question that both. Um, Dr. Azu and uh, should be like uh, should be asked. Uh, I, I mean, I, I really would like to to hear their opinion about that. But I'm I mean I uh, like it back in the 2013. I, I had the pleasure to meet uh, Nobel Prize uh, candle neuroplasticity uh, uh, and so forth, and uh, they they made uh, the same question to him. Like they they asked it, when we will know everything about the human brain. And he, he replied confidently in 100 years. So uh, what I think is that we really uh, will, we will really be able to produce uh, a, an AGI uh, when we will know everything about uh, everything about ourselves. And that is not just about the technical um, lack that we have, but also uh, the way uh, we will be able to handle any uh, a generalized intelligence if we will be able to handle that there is a nice book about uh, super intelligence made by nick bostrom which is something that uh, i mean the he described the threats and the, and the benefit of uh, of, uh, of a potential uh, generalized intelligence but nevertheless we are still at the point that like we we are still like that point that Marvin Minsky described as uh, we have, uh, I guess we have little minds uh, at the moment doing very simple thing uh, uh, very fast. And that is an advantage, like uh, surely AI, it's a great tool to, to implement in the, in the, in the, to be implemented in business or in some uh, use case application. But what I think is that uh, it should be, um, people should be realistic and refrain uh, from having over expectation or uh, terrible fears about the AI. It's a, it's a tool. Um, that you can use. It's uh, it's something that allows you to go beyond what uh, what uh, we were able to do so far. Um, and as I said, uh, also with respect to very complex uh, uh, topics, such as, for example, understanding patterns of uh, uh, of uh, neural activity, electrical neural activity in the brain, and uh, and and so. 
or understanding the meaning uh, like or the you know uh, inferencing about uh, images or sound and and so it's important for uh, uh, for uh, business leader to set uh, when implementing ai to set realistic uh, kpis uh, to evaluate uh, ai poc success and uh, and it's important i guess in this moment uh, um i'm sorry for repeating that but it's important to get the momentum um and and before even thinking about a long haul uh, ai strategy for business you people needs to to get the hands dirty to try the technology out and and to get benefit even from uh, from project failure because project failure uh, means always something uh, means that you understand the technology limitation and you can go beyond that look you can choose other strategies so in any case it's important to uh, to to uh, to have a project in AI uh, before thinking about a very long strategy. Absolutely, Valerio, and we will try and also, by the way, come back to Anne, Laura, and whoever else wants to say something. We just got to try and get through and hit our straps at first, and then hopefully we'll get a little bit of time at the end. But um, you know, turning to our second topic, which I, I think is finding the right balance between human capabilities and intelligent machine-based systems and solutions, which is really at the heart of the matter. And maybe a question for you, first of all, and then we'll go through the group. Uh, let's move on to discuss what role advancements in areas such as data, embedded systems, uh, embedded systems rather, smart assistants will play in the workplace of the future. What's the line, Anne, do you think, between what functions and tasks we should do and what can be better handled by software intelli and intelligent machines? Are there human qualities for example, we should seek to protect in any shape or form? Uh, yeah, there's two two main things that come to mind. So as AI takes more of the analytic capabilities, like the core of algorithms are open source, anyone could use them. Really the differentiator in organizations is having a workforce that can think critically about how to use the data. They plan the data strategy, they know how to apply the models to extract what patterns do they need to make the decisions. And this critical thinking and insight that's needed to make uh, complex business decisions is something that humans have to do. Like technology is not anywhere near doing this for us anytime soon. You know, so um, that hard critical business thinking, that creative thinking, the insight-driven uh, understanding what are the key decisions that need to be made, um, and understanding how to use the AI and data to help those human decisions um, is going to be a differentiator. And on the human side, I mean, there is there can be a slight risk. I don't want to say risk to make overblow it, but if we put a lot of mental attention to optimizing ourselves for one task, we do take away from brain circuits for another task, right? So if we get really data oriented, it could be that we have less attention to how we feel um, vocabulary for emotions, needs, and values. And I think it is becoming even more important in the workplace. People's work identity is much more a personal identity these days. So there is an importance to really also emphasize the human side of being having social intelligence, you know, offering each other emotional, motivational, engagement-oriented support for the workforce. Yeah, such an amazing point. I mean, my brain circuitry is already fully utilized and, and that's really is on the simplest tasks. But Laura, where do you see some of the major opportunities for intelligent transformation? And and maybe you could bring in some color if you could, any interesting use cases at LLZ that you've observed so far? 
Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the one thing that I always find really fascinating, again, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm waving the, the HPC banner as I, as I tend to do, you know, it's really the relationship between supercomputing and, and AI, um, you know, especially when we're pushing things at scale. So, you know, with, 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 uh, with supercomputing and modeling and simulation, we take, we observe the natural world, right? We have those in equations, many equations that you know, uh, you know, from your, from your high school physics textbooks, et cetera, um, that, that gets uh, produced into algorithms that you need to code. And then you run a simulation on, on a supercomputer over time to really uh, have predictions about what's happening or what could happen uh, into, into uh, a time forward space, right? And, and, when you're starting to create data and create ideas, you know, on the other hand, when you've got, you know, when you've got large scale data, uh, you know, information over thousands of years on, on temperature in a region, et cetera, um, you can, you can find patterns, you know, using machine learning you can find patterns and, and new patterns that you may not have seen before that become a hypothesis that you can then run through the simulation. So you start to get into this very fascinating uh, cyclical loop of how this you know, could work together and how they could maximize one another. And so you know, that, that's an area that I'm really excited to, to see slowly happening and, and want to see more of that because I think that really plays on the power of, of both of those um, technologies and capabilities. And you know, the question is, well, that's great. I mean, this is, we're very much at the cutting edge at the forefront, uh, but how does that affect businesses? How does that affect uh, you know, uh, other things later on or further down uh, the line? And I think it's really a, a matter of time. You know, again, with, with high-performance computing, a lot of the groundbreaking research and, and capability development that has happened uh, ends up in the market, you know, five, 10 years later, I used to previously work for uh, Lawrence Livermore National Lab in, uh, with industry relations. And, you know, there was the, there was the observation that a lot of the capabilities um, would, would come into the industry space five, 10 years past where uh, later uh, from where the national labs were. So they were really a trailblazer. And so by really pushing that boundaries and, and exploring and kind of having those moonshot type projects of, of doing everything from, you know, uh, really innovative and whole system smart farming, uh, uh, smart cities with satellite data over time, uh, you know, really trying to take these very large use cases and really apply the cutting edge and boundary of computing at scale. These sort of lessons and and um, and, and understanding, this then can, can guide our understanding and our application of it further down the line uh, as time goes on into into businesses into other into other spaces yeah in journalism we have a similar rule actually the moment you stop writing a story then it starts to happen in the real world but that's a different point um giovanni you've got a very broad perspective obviously in your job uh, about how businesses in the MIA region are operating right now what do you think is the power that comes from them being more data centered at the moment yeah, so representing the business, of course, firstly, business needs to really put the people at the center of their technology decisions and data-powered initiatives uh, in order you know, to make sure nobody is left behind. We can't left people behind. So secondly, from my point of view, you know, being more data-centered will explore, of course, the notion of to really think about intelligence, you know, think intelligence, smart transformation in each area of the business. So let, let me share a couple of examples. So, you know, when I look today in, in the world, in our world, you know, with the 
focus on healthcare, retail, banking, higher education. All these industries really have to put uh, extra efforts in place to really do a think transformation or smart transformation of their business to improve, you know, people or customers' experience, you know, drive more efficiency or increase productivity and stay ahead of the curve. So the power of being really more data-centered will result in a much better symbiosis between smarter technologies used alongside with human intelligence. It's really about the symbiosis. Yeah, and Valerio, in your eyes, is there a balance we should be striving to strike uh, between the human qualities and AI capabilities? Are we looking for a hybrid, possibly? Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, I I like the the point uh, Giovanni made about the being uh, human centric and data centric at the same time. Uh, the what I think is that we live, we are really cursed. Uh, I mean, in every uh, context, by uh, something called Polanyi paradox, and that probably uh, all of you knows very well. So we we know more than we can say, and so like I guess the one direction should be really uh, make simple uh, for the humans, for every uh, for everyone, uh, for all the users at every level to uh, to take advantage uh, of uh, uh, to take advantage from uh, from data and to also. Uh, take advantage of uh, uh, of the AI technology. Now, like uh, one example I want to make, it's regarding, uh, of course, my background, but I've seen the same uh, the same thing going on in uh, right now in every uh, pretty much every industry, I would say. Uh, so. In, within a research institution, within a lab, you have different skill set, and uh, and you know, like you want to access to uh, to a certain technology, but you have to transfer knowledge. So, like you need to have a technology that is made as simple as possible to allow every any expert level to uh, to access that technology and to use it and to uh, basically leverage that technology to realize the, some ideas or some innovation. And I've seen that is going on uh, beyond the lab, but it's going on also in, in the industry right now. When I talk with customers starting out with AI, they have different skills, they have data scientists with different, very different background and they have very different skill set in terms of utilization of resources, for example. And and AI is really intersecting with the world of HPC, which is like uh, very tough for somebody coming from a different background or having expertise in data analysis or uh, you know data science, but not in the HPC field. So it's important, and I guess Lenovo is doing a great work in that sense to allows the the technology to be as simple as possible and and democratize the utilization of uh, of very complex technology and allows the people to to get benefit and, and really break creating amazing breakthrough uh, without going through a very long learning curve before getting there. Um, so. The democratization of the technology and being able to do uh, knowledge domain transfer is the main key. Yeah, terrific. Uh, look, we've got about 15 minutes left and I'd like to go into our final topic, which is about all about becoming a data-centered organization, more practical elements. I'm going to ask you all to get out your uh, metaphorical crystal ball, not a real crystal ball, I hasten to add, we're all technologists here, and give me some predictions for what the workplace in 2025 might start to look like. 
and what the business leaders should be doing right now at a strategic level to implement that and to make sure that the businesses also don't lose the human touch in the rush to automation. Uh, Anne, could I start with you, please? Yeah, I've heard so many times it's said that people, that the soft skills are the new hard skills and soft skills have hard consequences. So if we expect people to be contrib contributing the critical thinking and the decision making that needed to extract insight from data, they have to feel safe to speak their mind. They have to feel motivated and engaged. It's not rote. They're no longer doing rote tasks, like even less than before. So they really need to feel that open creative space that really is only available to them through a supportive environment. And so unless you have that supportive environment, people's creative capabilities and their critical thinking capabilities will be constricted. So this means I think we really need workplaces to invest in emotional intelligent approaches to leadership, to communication, to understanding what individuals value, and then to support them to learn in a personally motivated ways. Um, we really have a long way to go because when you look at surveys, like 90% of managers aren't comfortable giving feedback. They don't know how to do it in a safe, supportive way. They don't know how to do it directly. Only 13% of employees feel safe speaking up all the time. And I think there's a Harvard Business School uh, research that said every time someone doesn't raise a concern, it costs an organization like $7,500 or something in lost time and resources. So uh, it's just really important to really keep up this emotional intelligence as we're develop developing the artificial intelligence. Yeah, almost the human beings will act as the guardrails to some extent to the, the AI and automation, and would you say? Yeah, it has to. We have to keep up that other side of ourselves because that's what we're contributing, right? So as the hard, as AI is taking more of the hard skills and the, those automated tasks, the difference in soft skills that organizations that give organizations the edge that's going to be ever more important. Very good, uh, Laura. Your point of view on on twenty twenty five and what maybe business leaders should be thinking about now, and in, in, in terms of striking that balance that we've discussed. Yeah, so, you know, as a, as a user facility for academic research, you know, the one thing that we think about a lot and that I think a lot about in my position for strategic development is how do I create or how do we create an innovative environment, right? So it's, it's not just having the standard, um, the standard vanilla technology that's available to, you know, to, 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 for the scientists to do their work on, but, but making sure that we have a very rich environment environment of, of different types of, of technology, different types of approaches to give them a really rich playing field to work with. And I think, you know, just, just having, transferring that to, to other spaces, you know, it's always about making sure that the innovative environment is there, that, that you're really cognizantly thinking about how to, how to create that environment and providing the resources, putting them into that space. I think that's one aspect. And then drawing another parallel, um, you know, is to just think ambitiously. Um, we are, are, you know, some scientists and some researchers do, um, you know, it's kind of smaller scale projects, which are nice. And but, you know, it's always about thinking about what's next. What, how can you push this further? How can you um, take another challenge? How can you add another dimension to this and and see where it goes and, and, and what you can produce from it? So I think really thinking ambitiously, thinking uh, the organization has the has the responsibility to provide an innovative background or an innovative environment 
for the for the people to to thrive in mentally and to to create and to ideate in that space. And then I think the other thing that's really important and what we see a lot is is making sure that our teams are multidisciplinary. And and the, the point was made earlier, um, you know, about the different the different vocabulary and the different language that different domain spaces and all speak. But this is also very powerful. Uh, you know, we've seen this when our when our HPC teams started interacting and we brought in, uh, you know, big data and AI teams and, and how they work together and their approaches and their perspectives were different, but it really started to illuminate new ways to think about things. And right now we just stood up a quantum team and it's the same thing that the vocabulary and the approach between high performance computing and quantum is, is coming from two different worlds. But if we want to advance quantum acceleration in next, next gen supercomputing systems, you know, these are the type of of, of teams that need to form. These are the type of vocabularies, the um, exchange that needs to happen and perspectives that need to be shared. So um, so I would say ambition, innovation, and, and multidisciplinary um, support. I think that's such a, a great point, Laura. You know, I, I was listening to what you were saying there and what Anne was saying just before you, and I was thinking it's almost a bit about the stage um, IT itself got to, maybe a, circa 2000 or something like this, where, you know, it was only with the generation of CIOs, business-minded CIOs, that you finally had a kind of Esperanto between what all of these guys in the data center were doing and what the business strategists were doing, and finally they could come together, talk to each other, and gain a value multiplier. Do you see that analogy at all? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, and we see this every day. I mean, we're, we're a facility that that serves um, astrophysicists, that serves, um, you know, folks working in computational fluid dynamics and mechanical engineering and computational engineering, all the way to humanities and, um, and, and just the vocabulary and how they and how they interact with our systems, with our technology, um, you know, in, in the in the modeling and simulation uh, area. But then also in, when you move that into, into uh, machine learning and how they're coming at it. I mean, it, it's really fascinating to see where we're, where we're sinking, where we're not sinking. Absolutely. Uh, Giovanni, you're, you're very close to it. As I said, you're speaking to all of these key businesses in the EMEA region. How do you see things evolving for 2025? So first of all, I love to look into the future, of course, and looking ahead now to 2025, I have to say, so here's my prediction, you know, for a future workplace, which I believe will be that we will use more and more voice recognition for all kinds of tasks in our daily work. So no more keyboards, you know, just really voice, data, and then using human intelligence, you know. Coming now back to the data centered in combination with a human first, you know, will definitely unleash new inventions. You know, what is needed is executive support, as I also mentioned before, you know, and sponsorship to really embrace innovation and look beyond the table. So executives need to be willing to really invest time, but also to understand the power of data. And then of course, the need to empower the people to use data in their daily work you know with a human touch and hopefully it will be really done by the voice by, by voice recognition so as an industry we need to really think about how we are encouraging young people to enter the workforce you know with the requisite and appetite to build data skills i think that's essential yeah and and 
you're close to it, as I said, Giovanni. Do you see that happening? Is the industry doing enough? Is the government or the governments of the, the world doing enough? So what, what we definitely see is that, you know, it, there is a more and more awareness. And I think it really starts with an awareness. And, you know, we have a lot of conversation, of course, also with our customs and partners driving towards this. And we can definitely see that, you know, our, our concept and model, you know, when we talk about the data center is more and more applied. But it will take some more time, you know, and uh, it, it also needs to be digested. You know, people need to prioritize this in, in their strategies, in their daily activities. But absolutely, we see we definitely see a trend towards this absolutely and, and valerio from your point of view please yeah um i mean i would like to see and i i think we we are going that direction to see more streamlined uh, organizations um so um basically data fo no, focus on uh, data problem solving at all levels and areas of business and uh, integrating platform processes and frameworks uh, across business lines. So uh, all in all, I, uh, what I would expect is to have also uh, a very user-centric approach uh, that will allow us a virtuous cycles of uh, deployment, improvement of AI solution uh, because the user utilization can increase awareness also put at the pitfalls of AI system and will allow fine tuning and, and, and further self-improvement of the tools. And, and so all in all, like the these uh, the user-centric approach and the democratization again of the technology to at all level uh, will remove recalcitrance and will allow to even uh, further improve the uh the power of this technology and 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 the the benefit of the of the applications yeah that, that's again such a great point look i mean we we've been talking now for about 40 minutes and, and to use Anne's phrase earlier we we have to be careful not to uh, use too many of the brain circuits uh, available to our, our audience out there and we're told that this is about a good length for a podcast but to close off as ever as I said we, we only just touch the dust that sits on the patina that sits on the varnish of the surface of any of these conversations but what I'm going to ask you to do as a panel is maybe you could tell me uh, or tell the audience more importantly is there a book a report a film a TED talk or something else that's out there that could help them dig deeper beyond the resources and, and the time we have available in this session um and do you want to go first, please? Um, well, maybe my work. Um, so we're working on AI-powered tools to help managers and employees improve their feedback and in communication at work so they can increase trust and engagement in their workplace. And so the goal is to help organizations achieve emotional intelligence at scale. So if you'd like to learn more, uh, our website is diplomacydojo.com. Fantastic. And Laura, what about you? Oh, this is a really great question. And I was thinking about this a lot. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things, I guess there would be a lot of things that I recommend don't be watching, especially in the terms of AI. Some of those movies are scary and really read us down a, a, a wrong uh, path. But, you know, just in, in again, in, in the position of, of strategy, you know, and when, when I'm thinking about um, how all of this is going to come together in the future, you know, it's not just looking at individual technologies. It's not just looking at individual methods. It's really about thinking about bigger pictures and, and more holistic views and bringing that 
that all together. I think that that is where our strength is going to be in the future if we harness that. And that's where we're going to have the most return. So for me, it's it's books that, that really challenge and make you think about innovation. So for me, I would go with something like um, Inno, um, uh, Innovator's Dilemma uh, from Christensen. I guess that would be my recommendation. Everyone in the world of business should read uh, The Innovator's Dilemma and even people outside of the world of, of, of business. I totally concur with that. Um, Giovanni, what are your recommendations? Yes, thank you for the question. And honestly, I want to be a little bit more provocative on this one. So as I'm a numbers and data centered person, I would suggest a book called Factfulness written by Hans, a professor Hans Rosling. It's a book describing the mission to fight the devastating ignorance with a fact-based worldview, you know. And the find it comes to the book is offering, you know, the reader about 10 reasons of why we are wrong about the world and why things are much better than we all think. Yeah, there's so many so many pessimistic views out there of, of technology, aren't there? They, they seem to be published easier than the optimistic ones. Valerio, you've given us already a, a, an abstruse library of, of learning and knowledge <laughs> and authors that I've been writing down in my notes, but uh, have you used them all up or have you got any more you want to point us to? Uh, well, like there are tons of stuff that worth reading. I guess like uh, uh, worth reading is uh, surely Superintelligence of Nick Bostrom, uh, uh, The Society of Mind of uh, Marmin Minsky, uh, The Quest for, in, uh, for Artificial Intelligence. That is also a great book. Uh, and uh, well, the movie, I share the, the same opinion as Laura. I mean, they are very much like when talking about artificial intelligence, they are very much like uh, um, uh, dramatic and uh, and and super pessimistic, uh, but nevertheless, I would suggest uh, it's one of my favorite movie, I guess, regarding artificial intelligence. And it's Ghost in the Shell, which is not actually a movie, but it's uh, more like uh, like an anime. Uh, but it's also basically it's a different approach how like technology can lead uh, to enlightenment. And I guess like that that is something that worth to pursue. But it's also not something you need. Excellent. We'll try and put those up uh, on the, the website if we can as well. Um, thank you all for uh, a great discussion. We did go a breakneck pace, for which I apologize, but we've got to squeeze in so much. Uh, you've been listening to the Lenovo ThinkTech podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and we desperately hope that you have, and the information we shared was useful, please do subscribe for future content. Thank you very much. <laughs>